catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. The excitement of football fans can never be underestimated, but let's be honest, there's nothing more exciting than a new look team at the beginning of a new season to get us all going. Welcome to this week's lockdown special of the Blue Moon Podcast, where we're going back to a season where things couldn't have been more exciting when they started. After only 10 home league goals the year before, uninspiring tactics and a dull mid-table finish, things were looking up when a new owner and a new manager came into the club in the shape of Taxin Sinawatra and Sven Goran Eriksson. Yes, we're going back to August 2007. I'm your host, Dave. Mooney and with me this week is the man behind the numbers at Stat City, Adam Carter. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good to hear, good to hear. Right, well we've done a couple of one season specials now, one where it was a full 12 months of hope and one where it was a full 12 months of despair, so let's combine the two and head back to August 2007. This was a time when the worldwide banking crisis was in its very, very early stages. The beginnings of the subprime mortgage defaults were happening in America. New to the big screen in the UK was The Bourne Ultimatum, Superbad and High School Musical 2, and this is what we were listening to in the charts. you but uh, R&B's got a lot to answer for hasn't it? Uh, a golden era in music I'm <laughs> saying, a golden era <laughs> I, got, I went back looking through the chart and all I could see was it's just R&B everywhere <laughs> Yeah it definitely took over around that time uh, Right well let, let's talk City from, from 2007 because mm-hmm. uh, City had gone through some changes that summer, uh, out had gone previous chairman John Wardle and the club had been sold to the controversial uh, tax Sinawatra. Stuart Pearce was sacked as manager Sven Goran Eriksson was appointed in his place What, what were you thinking about the changes that were being made um i think it was the right decision obviously we were really excited by taxin's um takeover um obviously it was pre-mansour so that was the first we'd had certainly in our supporting lifetime of a, a what was perceived as a takeover then uh, obviously we'd seen what sven had uh, done with the England team he'd endeared himself to the nation so when we're getting someone of sven's uh, caliber after a 
horrendous season under Pierce. Um, you know, we we there was optimism. There was it was real. It was almost like well, the the season DVD was called the Sven Revolution. It really did feel like uh, we were on a upward trajectory at the start of that season. We brought in eight new players, and it was a real fresh. Um, vibrant atmosphere going into that uh, campaign. Did you ever at any point feel like the takeover wasn't going to happen? Because it was it was talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks, and it took until the start of July to actually go through and happen. Yeah, and I, I remember there was um, some dodgy, some reports of dodgy dealings, which were uh, been well documented certainly since about the uh, the then owner, and um, it was certainly projected protracted um, tra- uh, takeover dealings that took forever, and we're thinking, are we just going to be nearly men again? And um, but once it went through that, like you say, that that excitement certainly took hold then. But there was a there was a fear, obviously, in that summer that it was going to be so so near yet so far. Sven felt like a, a step up as well, didn't he? Yeah, like I say, he had that international calibre. He was a different um, level of manager that we'd been able to attract. Um, and I really thought he was, the, he, like I said, he endeared himself with the national team, the fans, and I really thought he was certainly a step up of what and was going to take us places. Well, to give you an idea of the side that, that he inherited when he was mm. taken over, in his entire tenure, Stuart Pearce spent £11.5 million at City. Uh, that was at the same time as recouping £24.5 million. Most of that was on Sean Wright Phillips, to be fair. But he brought in £21.5 million. So for the net spend geeks out there, uh, he made a net profit of about £13 million. And on, on the squad, it showed. That, like With the new investment... Okay, alleged new investment. We'll come on to that a bit later on. Um, Sven was able to spend more than fifty million in in his only season at the club. So, I mean, just going back to, to uh, a previous podcast, this is what Rob Pollard said uh, on a previous episode about that that summer a few years ago. He did a trolley dash around Europe in the space of about five minutes and brought a load of players we didn't know in, and they were all right. And that pretty much sums it up, Adam. It was a trolley dash around Europe, kind of like a last-minute thing. Look, look at look at the signings. The first one was the 13th of July, Rolando Bianchi, 8.8 8, 8. 8 million. The yeah. last one was the 3rd of August, Valery Boyanov, uh, 5.75 million. That's, what, 21 yeah. days? Yeah. It was open season. Um, there was comments. Even Sven said himself that in the first training session, the players didn't know each other's name for the first game. <laughs> even uh, that's just absolute haphazard planning. Well, no planning by by the by the looks of it. Um, there was a feature on Match of the Day after that first game where City fans were being shown pictures of our new signings outside the ground and having to identify them. It was quite we were quite a laughing stock in terms of how that the signing approach had been made. Um, Sven was quite defendant in his post-match interview after that because uh, people had said that he'd only seen them on YouTube, on videos, and he'd never actually didn't even know the players. Well, I'm going to stop you there because it's 2007 <laughs> and he definitely hadn't seen them on YouTube because YouTube was 18 <laughs> months old at that stage. Well, well, yeah, well, we, we need to sack the journos on that <laughs> one. Well, certainly on video. Um, and he, he, I, Sven never really got rattled uh, too much in his post-match interviews, but I remember that one standing out. He was actually saying... If they want to be stupid and write that, they can. But I'm not 100% sure how <laughs> truthful he's been in the fact that he knew those players. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I certainly only knew a handful. I didn't know any. I'm not going to lie, I didn't know any. Look, look, listen to the names, okay? Rolando Bianchi, 8.8 .8 million. Jelson yep. Fernandez, 4.2 million. Giovanni yep. was free. Uh, Martin Petrov, 4.7 million. They were the July signings. And then yep. there was that wonderful press conference where they announced uh, Vedran Choluca, Alano, yep. uh, Javier Garrido, and Val Valery Boyanov all in one go. Yeah, it's quite a famous picture, that yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic yeah. picture just because they all signed on the 2nd and 3rd of August. So it was like, it was honestly rattled through the, the transfers. I, I didn't know any of those on that, that, that day. 
Um, it was the Martin Petrov one that was kind of the big marquee signing for me. Uh, you know, he was the, probably the most well-known name there. Um, but it was certainly, it was just mad. We'd never done anything like that, um, you know, previously in terms of that all-in-one just scattergun approach, and that that gave us a kind of a, a an insight into what we could have ex, could expect from the, from the rest of that season. Because I think we had a mad January as well after that. With was it did Benjani join? It was Benjani and Kaiseda. Well. We'll come on to that a bit later so, yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> like, what did you think of of that new look City? Do you, like that game at West Ham was was obviously eagerly anticipated, but before that yeah. game came along, what well, were you thinking we about this, this new team? Had we lost Distan that yeah, summer? Yeah, he'd gone well. that summer. Yeah. Um, my, um, my, my cutting thing was that Nicky Weaver had gone. He was my hero. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we started the season with Schmeichel and Hart, if I remember. Yep. Um, uh, Andres Isaacson as well. Yeah. And I'd, yeah, so we had those three. Um, and like I say, I was, your, your gutted Weaver went. Distan going was a big um, knock for me. I just thought we wouldn't have had that protection. So we, we moved uh, Micah Richards in from. Right back to centre back to partner Richard Dunn in Distan's absence. Um, it was a kind of the there was still a optimism because of the new management uh, structure, and obviously this you've you've got to hope that out of these eight nine players that came in, one of them is going to be decent enough to <laughs> move us forward after what we'd experienced the year before. Well, uh, we spoke to Sven a few years ago, so let's hear what he had to say about getting the new players in. Here he is speaking to the podcast back in about 2011, explaining why he needed so many new faces. I knew that I had had a poor season the season before, and uh, I think the players and everyone in the club understood that it was necessary to take in uh, take in some new players. In other way, the situation could have been struggling for re- relegation, and uh, nobody wanted to do that, of course. And uh, the owners at that time they they were aware of it as well. Was it difficult to get so many players to to gel in such a quick time? Uh, yeah, of course it was difficult. It was uh, difficult to to get them, and uh, we did it in rather short time. And uh, I think. We were lucky because more or less all of the players we took in made a good contribution to the team and to the to the results we did. I think that's my fault. We missed only one, which uh, didn't fit in as well as I thought he would have done. And that was Bianchi. Um, but all the others, I think they did an extremely good job for the club. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. So that was Fen chatting to us uh, back in 2011. Uh, was, was there any name that you were most excited to see out of the new players, Adam? Or was it a case of, I just want to see this new team? Yeah, so obviously Petrov I, I knew of. Um, and then um, there was a pre-season game against Valencia where Alano had had a few good touches. And I'm thinking, oh, and David Silva played in that game. Um, I was thinking, oh, maybe he could be... could. You know, spark us into life because we didn't really have anything like uh, that midfield creativity um, at that time. So I thought he was going to be the one that would would unlock it, and he was one I was uh, pinning my hopes on. And uh, I was a real big fan of Alano, but I'm um, not sure everyone echoes that sentiment. You mentioned David Silva. Um, mm. That was the day he scored his first goal at the Etihad. Yep, he scored the winner for brain teaser. Scored the winner for Valencia that day. Um, the one I, I mean, the one I was excited to see was Valerie Boyanov, and then he just because he he embodied everything that I wanted in a centre forward. He was he looked big and tough and strong, and he looked. I mean, he like he only played a handful of games, but he looked like yeah. he could finish as well. 
Yeah, I remember them lot over the road obviously had Rooney at that time, and uh, a big, strong centre-forward, and um, he was in his home country was uh, referred to as, as their Wayne Rooney. So I thought, oh, we might have someone who can match that now, um, up for a bit of a presence up front. And in fleeting glances, he looked great. Uh, there was a good goal away at Spurs um, that it scored. He, we had a bit of presence up, up front, and I thought, yeah, maybe... We will now have something about us up top as well under under Bodjanov. He certainly looked a presence, a physical presence. Just a shame. Just a shame what happened yeah. to him, really. Yeah. Um, Barry Turnan on Twitter asks, uh, whatever happened to Rolando Bianchi? Um, and I did a bit of digging because like, he was one that he came in. He showed a lot of promise in the in the first half of the season. But there were, there were stories behind the scenes that he was homesick. Um, and his career kind of backs that up because after half a season at City he went alone to Lazio uh, so obviously back to Italy City then sold him to Torino in Italy um, he stayed in Italy for uh, for all but 16 games of the rest of his career where he he, he played 16 games with Mallorca in Spain um, so I, I think when it, when it comes to homesickness and something like that you just can't really help it can you? Yeah, I liked uh, Bianchi I thought he He was a bit slow but I thought he was yeah, alright yeah. He was a typical uh, what I'd call like a typical Italian striker in terms, not on the Baggio levels, of course, but just um, he gave us something different. Again, he, he seemed to always pop up uh, with a, a, a six-yard tapping when if we did score for us, he was certainly a bit of a back post uh, poacher. But he seemed to want to do well for us. He's, he's still got affinity to City now. If you see his tweets and stuff, whenever we do well. Um, so he obviously did take some uh, something from the experience. You can't account for homesickness, and when you throw in so so many players into a new team at once, there's not going to be that gelling culture, and you've not, obviously not got enough time to assess what, what his mentality is going to be like. I know City now in their transfer approach, they they analyze a player for 12, 18 months to see what type of uh, personality they've got, how strong the mentality is, and what the character's like. <laughs> you can't, Back you in can't, that, you can't do nothing. that in, in ten yeah, minutes, can you? <laughs> yeah, Sven definitely didn't do that on his video. Yeah. Um, Richard Dunn spoke to uh, the Irish sports radio station off the ball a few years ago. Uh, this is about the impact that Sven had at City. He was genuinely such a nice fella that he expects it. If you don't give it to him, well yeah. then goodbye. I feel like nice fellas get taken advantage of by yeah, footballers. But for him, he just, well, right, that's fine. If you don't want to be part of this, you don't want to behave in the correct manner, well then you don't, you're don't. you not going to come and represent the club that I'm, I'm leading. Okay. So he'd um, be ruthless in that way. Yeah, and the first maybe the thing, the reason why we all liked him on our first pre-season, within days of him taking over, he took us to Sweden, and um, brought us all down for dinner and said, "Right, Richard, you're the captain. Here's some tokens. Go and take the lads out for a couple of beers. Blah, blah. Be back at twelve o'clock." So we were a little bit delayed. We never got back till about one o'clock. I have, think. have footballers ever made a curfew? <laughs> Not one story is finished with, and we all got home. But as we came in the door, we were all trying to sneak around corners, and Tord Grip was playing the accordion. We were all singing. <laughs> <laughs> but we just thought, oh, these are going to be all right. <laughs> Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. is the Blue Moon Podcast. So that's Richard Dunn uh, speaking to Off The Ball uh, and we can 
probably understand a bit more now about why uh, why the players liked him so much. Um, we mentioned before City started off so well. Uh, they opened with a 2-0 win at West Ham. It was followed by a 1-0 win over Derby at Eastlands. Uh, that was City's first home goal in eight months, or about 13 hours yeah. of football, and it was scored by Michael Johnson. Yeah, the relief. Yeah. Um, here's, it was Michael Johnson. Here's, here's his goals for that season. Johnson has all kinds of room. Johnson! falling in the city of Manchester Stadium. I wonder if the pitch will get a little bit greasier. Johnson cruising onto that. Oh, lovely run. Johnson, lovely goal. The new Colin Bell of the city of Manchester Stadium. It's a lofty parallel to make for a young boy, but he certainly reminds me of the great Manchester City midfield player of years gone by. So that's both of Michael Johnson's goals in the Premier League that season. The second came in a, in a home win over Aston Villa. Sven had found this new mix of foreign talents and kind of academy products because, as you mentioned, Adam, Micah Richards was was playing centre-back and had, had moved inside at that stage. Stephen Ireland was doing well under him. Ned Manua was in and out the side a fair bit as well. Um, how, I mean, Michael Johnson is the one that stood out though, isn't he? Yeah, and I, when we knew we were doing this season, I said, oh, I'll focus on Michael Johnson. But it's, <laughs> I think... I'm personally I'm blinded by homegrown uh, academy players in terms of how they perform. Um, we looked, we dug up the stats, and they actually weren't as impressive as we thought about Michael Johnson. But he certainly had that drive from midfield. He was a bo- proper box-to-box midfielder. A lot of people compared him to Colin Bell and Paul Lake in that they were the type of players we'd not seen since uh, a player like him. Um, and you, you, you get you're damn right about um, Sven mixing that. Uh, you know the foreign players with the homegrown talent, and he did give the the, the homegrown lads a, a good run in that team, and they 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 provided a bit of grit where Alano or Giovanni may needed a bit more, um, you know, freedom to go and express themselves. But Michael Johnson, what a talent! And it's just again we're robbed with injuries. That like how often that happens uh, to players where they've got all this potential, and we're getting excited and like say putting them in the same sentence as a Colin Bell and a Paul Lake um, you, you just you're desperate to see them do well every time he got on the ball I, I remember watching Michael Johnson like he'd, he'd probably intercept something on the edge of our box and then join in with some play at, at the opposition box and I was like I've been watching the match and how did he get there he just seemed to glide across the pitch <laughs> glide is very gutted. much the word he, mo- he yeah. moved so well yeah. and like he, he fitted in I mean he must have been what 19 or so 20 at that time he was very young yeah. and he just fitted in he, he looked like a Premier League player even when I remember he came in for his debut under Pierce in that god awful four nil defeat at Wigan, but then Pierce took him out again, and then kind of six months later at the end of that season, he would he'd embedded himself into that team and yeah. alongside Joey Barton. Okay, we know what Joey Barton's like, but they were t- they were a good midfield pairing for the the state that City were in at that stage. And Sven came in. Obviously, Barton had gone with the, with the incident with with Usman Darbo. Um, but Sven came in, looked at Michael Johnson, went, "This kid can play. This kid yeah. can play, and he's going to play in my team." Yeah, he, he didn't have any qualms about sticking him straight in, did he? So uh, he obviously saw enough in the in the in training. He, he did have one complaint uh, that he said he 
didn't he wasn't able to train enough with a groin injury and we know it's much uh, documented his, his fitness issues and that's just uh, when you've got a player of Sven's caliber who's managed the players he managed at that time to be able to pin it on a, a young Mancunian lad and say here you go you're in my team alongside Alano in that midfield um, it's a great boost for him and he really took it well um, the stats didn't like I say the stats didn't really show too great but we're, we're watching his performance as a fellow City fan a fellow Mancunian who is on the pitch doing the job that we'd love to do and we were just in awe of him for that certainly that season that I when you mention this season he's the first person I think of yeah is it, I mean it, we've said a couple of times people have called him the next Colin Bell I mean yeah. we heard it from Jonathan Pierce in the commentary there as well um could he have been yeah, I, I believe so. I was never obviously uh, able to watch Colin Bell, but my dad used to relay and compare, compare the two. The way he'd receive the ball, pass it and move and go again, it was just, we'd not seen something like that, certainly from uh, an English talent in our team. Um, it was so exciting to watch and I really, I'm very guilty of getting on board with the hype of young uh, English players um, and I really thought we had the next big thing then how long we would have been able to keep him for if he kept that form would be a, another question uh, but uh, yeah I've certainly bought into the Michael Johnson hype Right well it's time to have uh, that debate now uh, while we're talking about how good City were in the first half of the season a big part of that was Alano but his form tailed off towards the end of the season we have to start though Adam uh, with this moment Free kick to Manchester City Alano over it, goes for goal, and scores the goal. Oh, that's superb. It's his first goal for Manchester City. He's shown what an exciting player he is in every other aspect of the game. Now he's shown he can finish too, and in style. Brazilian magic from the magician. It couldn't have gone in a better place. Impossible to save. Shea Given saw it, hurled himself at it, couldn't get close to it. So that's Alano scoring uh, his first goal for City, a free kick against Newcastle. Uh, when I say Alano, is that the first thing that springs to mind? Yeah, yeah, that's the. I had that down for a time as the best goal at the Etihad. Um, obviously, Vincent Kompany's goal against Leicester and Sergio's title winner aside, um, it was one of the best free kicks I'd ever seen. Perfect postage stamp. Shea given no chance, um, and he was just really in- instrumental to our early season form. There was unlike anything we'd had in that kind of maestro role. Um, he just was. A real good link with uh, Michael Johnson, as we've alluded to. Uh, he was able to reverse pass. There was almost telepathic uh, understanding between those two in the centre of midfield there. And that he there was a few home wins in a row where he'd scored the, the goals in three of them uh, that really you know elevated us to that next level. And I keep going on about that revolution. And he certainly was a big part of that at the early start of Sven's reign. I have to ask this question now. Um, mm. Great player or fair weather player? <laughs> a great fair weather player. No, no offence to him. No, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly in the Alano camp. I know I'm probably in the minority there. Um, I, I think he's definitely what we needed. Um, I was for the bits of you know intelligence and creativity that he provided. I'm happy to for him to sit out a few games. Um, there was a famous one away at Portsmouth where. Bellamy called him out on it, him and Rubinho, I believe. But um, I'm, I'm, I've only got fond memories of Alano. What, where do you stand? I'm 
not quite there, I'm afraid. Um, I, I remember him very fondly for what he did at the start of that season and for, for bits of things he did under Mark Hughes the next season. Um, but there was a lot. There were long spells, long spells where he was anonymous in games, and it wasn't. It, it, it always. It never. I, I don't want to say that he wasn't trying because I don't like to to put that on players that they're not that they're not putting the effort in. And also, you can't question his commitment because he was prepared to play right back at times when, yeah. when City didn't have a right back. So <laughs> yeah. he, he was he was prepared to do that. I just wonder if if. I, I, it's very, very cliche to say, but did the conditions in the middle of winter and you know yeah, through the springtime didn't really suit his, his his play? Yeah, and I think there were some frustrations that when he'd play for Brazil whilst playing for us, he, he had some great games for Brazil as well. So I think some people were wondering where that form was for us. Um, didn't he? Did he come to us from Ukraine? Yeah. So I'm wondering about the the winters are a bit worse there. So I don't know whether he was using that to hide behind. But I've only got fond memories of him. It, it him. Being, as in, if we call it inconsistent, and didn't really cost us um, too much enough for him to damage his reputation with me. Okay, I'll take that. I'll tell. I mean, yeah. the, the other thing is as well. The thought occurred to me. Maybe, maybe we remember him fondly because he was the first spark yeah, after that's years exactly, of dull football. Yes, exactly. That's what I alluded to there. That's exactly it. Um, he was the first mav- you know, ma- maestro we had probably since King Cladzi. I hope I'm not doing anyone a disservice. Benabia, mate. Benabia. Yeah, sorry, exactly. <laughs> I'm, t- I'm only in count- counting top tier there. Um, yeah, well, and Berkovic as well. Yeah, certainly since those type of plays, like you say, one spark and then he's almost his reputation's done. Then um, he can do he can do no wrong thereafter for some for some fans, including myself, on that one. I have to admit. Right. Well, for the for the younger fans listening, uh, it's important that we say at this point that City didn't often beat United. Um, those growing up watching City now see a team that has no fear going to Old Trafford and, and, and winning home and away against them is something that's not that unusual. Uh, Guardiola's done it, Pellegrini did it, Mancini did it, but in 2008, Sven became the first City manager to do it in 38 years. I'm talking about a Manchester derby double. Um, the first Manchester derby that season came third in the fixture list and City just about edged it somehow 1-0. Uh, here's Sven again speaking to the podcast about that derby. I wished at that time that we had uh, had more time times to prepare things and that we didn't well it was more or less every day it came a new player but uh, anyhow the players were very clever and very good good football players so they they uh, we started the season very well and better than than I thought we should have and better than anyone thought I, I guess now that uh, that Manchester derby the uh, the first the first one at home at Eastlands um how did that differ to to different derbies that you've managed in around the around the world well, of course, it was my first derby in Manchester, and uh, you could feel it the whole week before that this is something special. And I remember when I signed for a city, uh, one of the supporters came came to me and said, "Sven, don't talk about Europe or uh, the league or whatever it is. Just beat Manchester United twice, and that's it." He said, <laughs> "That's the most important." <laughs> Uh, it's important, of course. It's important, but the most important, of course, is the final result for the for the club. You could feel the derby, and if you compare it with uh, with Lisbon or Rome or where I've been before, it's it's great. Probably, it's the biggest derby I've been involved in. Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. I don't know about you, Adam. I just remember that game. I think Tevez missed an open goal near the yeah, end, and everything was just really tense. 
Yeah, and I remember Mika Richards being colossal that game. He, him and Tevez had an epic battle that day. Um, I think um, Rooney and Richard Dunn had a bit of a to-do as well. And everything seemed to go right for us that day. And we needed it. Um, Giovanni scored after about 30 minutes, I think. Kid might have took a slight defe- deflection off Ferdinand. But then, you, you know, we, we were suddenly scoring home goals, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was a relief. And then to be able to lay down a marker so early in the season in a derby, um, Sven Stock was just rising these whole new players that could never play together and didn't even know each other's name had just beaten United um, you know it, it, things were really looking up we hadn't conceded a goal I know we're only three games in the season but Schmeichel was looking solid between uh, between the sticks as well he was, he was, he was only about 12 wasn't yeah, he yeah yeah exactly we'd thrown him in um, I'm assuming Isaacson was injured and that's why yeah, the decision both, was both made both Hart and Isaacson were injured at the start right, of the so season so it was a kind of necessary uh, decision Um and we, yeah, we were, we were scoring goals. We were, weren't conceding any, which was novel for City at that time. <laughs> and that's probably why we were all a bit giddy at the start of that season and certainly for that derby result. Yeah, and then the second Manchester derby of the season also marked the 50th anniversary of the Munich air disaster. Um, so this is what Sven remembers of that day. Well, it was a special game because it was a memorial day for the tra- tragic um, air accident for Manchester United. So in that way, it was very, very special. And I will always remember in all my life the minutes before the kickoff when it was uh, one minute silence in and I remember the during all the week uh, some of the people from city they were nervous that uh, city fans would boo them or something like that and uh, I think it was a great one minute of civilization and uh, education or whatever you say you couldn't hear anything at the stadium for, for the whole minute and uh, that's one of these moments you, you're you getting very, very proud of, of the club you work for and the fans you were, you were working for. Very, very proud. It was it was great. What do you remember the game itself? Well, I think uh, we were not lucky. We, we were very good. We deserved to win that game. Uh, if you talk about the first game at home... Uh, we played okay, we played good, we won. But the second game, I think we were brilliant and we deserved to beat uh, United at that time. At home, we played good, but not as good as we did away. Away was a very, very good football game. And do you think with, with everything surrounding the game, with the uh, with the 50th anniversary of the Munich disaster, do you think that uh, that, that kind of took the focus off City or do you, did it put more pressure on City indeed? Uh, no, I, I don't think that was good or bad for for that game for any team i mean you remember and you you honor what happened that was a terrible accident at that time of course so i think everyone was very happy to be there in this moment and stay, staying there with the, the flowers and it was very nice and the one minute as i said was fantastic and then you know when the game starts uh, you are totally focused on the 90 minutes you have ahead of you, if you're a player, a coach, a manager, whatever you are. So I think that's nothing to do with what happened in the game. The game was a brilliant game from from Manchester City side. Now, you were the first manager to win a Manchester derby double for City since 1969-70. So how did that feel? <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> of course, it still feels good that you know that uh, we did it and... Um, yeah, great. Of course, great uh, during the game, great after the games, and 
Well, it's there. It's written in the books. So whatever happened, they can't take that away from anyone who was were involved at that time. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. I don't know about you, Adam, but the build-up to that second derby was... It almost felt like like City were a sideshow in it all. Yeah, with the only impact that City had in terms of the build-up with that was how uh, misbehaved our fans were going to be. And then and they how weren't. Disres- exactly, and how disrespectful we were going to be because of the anniversary that it marked. And we were actually impeccable that day. Both sides did, still deserve a mention. The fans uh, came together for uh, you know for that occasion and uh, you know re- observed it impeccably. And I think. To be fair to United, the occasion got to them and we played the match. And it's it's almost poetic that we should win our first game at Old Trafford on their big day. Um, you know, once once the ceremony had finished, we needed to, you know, the football took centre stage. And City remember, were brilliant that day. I remember City yeah, being brilliant that day. Yeah, we, we you know, we, we we fought for every ball. We we. We played well. We had the uh, old retro kits on both teams, so it was kind of a kind of a novel uh, game as well. And uh, we played some good stuff, and we we deserved it. They had nothing until the uh, till the till the last last few moments when uh, Carrick scored, I think. Yeah, did I, I don't know if you did. You manage to get to that game or not? No, no, uh, but I was uh, tuned in on the radio, so I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, yeah, me too. I, I, I was friends I, texting. I, there was a point I, re- I remember very distinctly saying to my dad at one point, "Dad, do you think they're going to do this?" And he yeah. and, and he said, "Yeah, they'll they'll do it now um, because it was like ninety two minutes or something like that." And I, even at ninety two minutes, I was I was still thinking, "Just blow the whistle, referee, blow it up." And it was still two 0 And then I think was it Darren Fletcher. I thought it was Carrick that scored. Might have been Michael Carrick, actually, yeah. yeah. I, don't, I can't remember if Fletcher played for them at that stage or not. No, um, and uh, I just remember thinking, is it real? <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is so so new, like you say, to City fans of a certain age. Uh, we, we, You know, that was un, unheard of for us to go to Old Trafford, and certainly to do a double, let's not forget, like, like you mentioned, it was a league double for the first time, and God knows. It's 38 years. 38 years that City hadn't been to, to Old Trafford and won at the same season as they won at home. Um, let's, let, I mean, let's have a listen to the goals. We can't, we can't not have a listen to the goals. Petrov tries to slide it through Ireland, and Vassell saved by Van der Sar. Vassell again scores. Manchester City have upset the form book by taking the lead at Old Trafford, and it's Darius Vassell. And touched on it in. Benjani on his debut. Scores in the Manchester derby. Second goal courtesy of uh, Benjani's head, allegedly. Um, what did you think of uh, of Benjani when they signed him, Adam? Well, there was the bizarre transfer story of him falling asleep at the airport and missing deadlines and then it getting uh, over the line. I know Harry Redknapp uh, recalls that. Um, Slightly recalls differently. That well, I'll, I'll tell you what, yeah, let, let's yeah. have a listen to Harry Redknapp uh, because right. he, he gives his side of the story to <laughs> BetSafe's YouTube channel. He'd done well for me in the end. He scored the, he scored the goal at Wigan that kept us up that year and I think that was the only goal he got that season. 
The following year, he started to bang a few goals in, but he was a, as I say, he was a real worker. Suddenly Sven came on and offered me £9 million for him. And it was a fantastic offer. Benji didn't want to go. I wanted to sell him. I thought it was certainly over the price that he was really worth. And uh, But he got to Southampton Airport and missed two planes. And eventually I had to drag him on the runway to push him onto a plane and kept telling him what a great move it was to go to Man City. He got here, I think, about 11 o'clock at night. They rushed him. It was transfer deadline night. They rushed him to, uh, to the stadium. Somehow, don't ask me how, they got the paperwork through and I was sitting there praying at the other end that it would go through. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. We should correct one thing that he said there is, in typical Redknapp, fashion um redknapp claims it was nine million pounds for the transfer it wasn't nine million pounds it was nine million if you include the add-ons uh, <laughs> up front it was roughly four million um i don't know what what do you believe adam because because the, there's also the story that city tried to stop the deal even though after yeah. even though it, had, it, it even though it had gone through yeah, it's such a bizarre transfer and such a city transfer, especially typical of that season. You know, the transfer dealings there. You know, who who was organising them? Um, you've got Portsmouth shoving him out the door, saying you are going to the airport, you are going to City. Him allegedly saying he doesn't want to. Us saying we don't want him. And then he goes and scores the winner in the derby. <laughs> <laughs> How, what, what a calamity and a comedy of errors that's just typical of that time and our approach. And like I say, almost poetic that we uh, get a derby double. And uh, it's the guy who, is he coming, isn't he coming, falling asleep and putting, you know, past the midnight deadline and he signs on a deadline day and scores on Derby Day. Well, that, that was it. I mean, like Portsmouth at that stage were trying to get rid of him. City were desperate <laughs> to sign him because they wanted a striker. Yeah. And then the deadline passed. Portsmouth weren't sure if they'd received the paperwork <laughs> yeah. for him. City were adamant that they'd sent it. They kind of then slept on it, decided that they didn't want him anymore yeah. and tried to claim that they hadn't sent the paperwork <laughs> in time, at which point Portsmouth said, no, we've received it. And I just, oh, I can't, like, honestly, yeah. It just things typical. It, it almost summed up the second half of that season for me yeah. because the second half of that season after the Manchester derby double, that was the only real highlight in in what was a pretty poor second half. Um, City only won five games after the midway point. One of them was at home to Spurs where Nedimanua scored his first ever goal. Uh, here he is talking about that goal to the podcast. Yeah, it was against Spurs, and I think it was. I'm not sure if it was the first goal or the second goal. I remember Stephen Allen scored as well. And I got to a stage where I thought, I'm just never going to score, to be honest. I thought it was going to be, I think it was Klaus Lundekvam and stuff that was at Southampton. just went through his entire career, basically, without scoring. But the cross came in, inch perfect, just powered the header out. And then did a little embarrassing celebration towards my family, yeah. That's just, this seems the way first goal should be. I say you were blowing kisses, if I remember. That's that's exactly right. You have a very good memory. I was blowing kisses all over the place. I don't even, to be honest, I thought I was doing it towards my family, but they were probably in a different side of the stand. It was just short, so much was the emotion. <laughs> support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast again though that was a rare good day City had been knocked out of the FA Cup by lower league Sheffield United at Bramall Lane as well that was uh, that was when balloons caused a problem in the goal mouth but they were lacking a little bit of support it looked a nothing ball but yes it might hit a balloon but a balloon's not going to deviate the ball it's not going to divert it anywhere it hits two balloons I'm sure it's put Michael Ball off just visually because it rocks two, first the blue one there, then a white one just behind it. And he just makes a complete and utter mess of it. I was there for that one. Couldn't believe it. 
it's one of those things in hindsight you're probably thinking right clear the balloon uh but just at the pop time thinking, just pop the balloons yeah, what are you doing man it's and you'd think it's not going to do any harm but now obviously um that's the first thing anyone will do now when it comes on a, a balloon in the goal mouth but just tip it i keep going on about a typical season luckily we seem to have shelved that tag recently but back then anything that could go wrong did go wrong even with these new resources even with this new revolution even with this new outlook even with so many uh, new resources and a balloon knocks us out of the fa cup <laughs> you know we're, we're <laughs> laughing stock for so long but it's definitely character building do you remember who scored his first goal for city that day Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Um, I'm saying, why do I say Stephen Ireland? But I'm not sure if it wasn't was. Stephen Ireland. Uh, no, he'd scored Daniel, already by that. Daniel, Daniel Sturridge. Sturridge. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Sturridge scored for City. He came on yeah. as a sub in the second half. That was that was when uh, Sven made the bold move of subbing Alano at half time because it just wow. wasn't working. And well, Sturridge came on and uh, rattled one in off the bar. Then did this did this daft dance. And it's it's nice <laughs> to see that these days he's grown up. <laughs> None of these Stick daft celebrations. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, it's funny, but like you talk about City, like City weren't knocked out of the FA Cup by a balloon. They were knocked out by a, by a Sheffield United side that played really well on the day. Um, it, it almost kind of summed up City's second half of the season. When the going got tough, they couldn't really do it. Yeah, um, I remember. So if we start the second half of that season, we went to away to Newcastle and won. And uh, we went up to fourth after that game. And I remember texting into the radio saying, we're all going on a European tour. And it got read out. And I was thinking, they we'd hit the heights that I'd not seen in our supporting, um, obviously supporting City. My first game was in 95. So we'd not seen uh, these type of fourth in the Premier League uh, after Christmas. Um, and then it absolutely just nosedived, absolutely fell off a cliff after that. Um was it a case of us doing all the hard work in the first season, uh, first half of the season and resting on our laurels thinking we'd done enough? Um, there was there was some I'm going to say there was some pretty bad luck at times as well. Um I remember going to Birmingham and Sunji High conceded a penalty when mm. Gary McSheffrey shoulder charged him and then Sunji High just stood his ground. Gary McSheffrey bounced off him and the referee pointed yeah. to the spot and it's like, like yeah. little things like that. Yeah. Where I, I just remember this this look on Sunji High's face. He put his hands on his head and just started yeah. laughing because it was that ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like anything that was going to go against us was going to. Uh, was that the three one? Yeah, La- Alano my, scored. A my mate Alano there, yeah. scored. Yeah. <laughs> uh, City also lost Richard Dunn to injury at Reading, um, and they like they th- at that point the defense was being held together by sticky tape, and I think they uh, we we already mentioned Alano playing right back at a time, but for a time they were playing four fullbacks as uh, across the back. They were playing um, Javier Garrido, Michael Ball. Veteran Charles Luca, and either a newer or or Richards. It was just, I think, a newer dislocated his shoulder at one point as well. There's just so much going wrong. Yeah, so so you, obviously you've got the early season form that we never quite reached, and you've got all those injuries and the bad luck that we we mentioned, and it's almost a tale of two seasons in one in one season you know you you could almost be forgiven for thinking that they were two separate seasons in in terms of that fortune um and yeah just i remember a win at sunderland away and a, a home win at portsmouth were the only things to really celebrate after that uh derby win yeah i i, I forgot the sunderland goal because darius Vassell um yeah 
I, I, I remember he had a famous yeah. quote. He said he went to break the net, even though it trickled over the line. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he, he said it to match the day because I've been trying to find it for years. For, yeah, for great whenever quote. we do features about uh, good luck or good fortune or, or flukes, because uh, he said something like, "I tried to take the back of the net off, but I nearly broke my foot off." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know we needed that result at that time. You know we, we were on a cup, the back of a couple of losses there. Like you say, like I say, it, it almost nosedived off a cliff. And um, we just needed a few more wins just to pick, uh, to perk us up a bit at that stage. It was looking quite, uh, you know, quite quite grey for a time. And speaking of Richard Dunn, um, do you remember the, the the final home game of two thousand and seven? I think it might be New Year's Eve. Um, they played Liverpool. It drew nil nil. Yeah. And Fernando Torres was on yeah. fire, but Richard yeah. Dunn was just it just yeah, yeah tackled it tackled him about yeah. ten or twelve times out of if nowhere. You, if you asked me for Dunny's best game, I'd probably say that one. Bizarrely, he cleared off the line as well, didn't he? Yes, he did, and we really matched that. When I keep saying about these levels that we went up, Liverpool were a great side then, or certainly a good side then, and we matched them. And that's when I was looking around, thinking we could probably achieve something here this season. Obviously, I didn't know what was about to come, but around that time, I really thought the performances we were putting in were matching. You know, we're matching these teams where we could only. I've dreamt of the season before when we couldn't even score a goal. Yeah, well, as things were going through uh, April and May, uh, they be, uh, they're just beginning to get worse and worse. News leaked from behind the scenes that Sven was to be sacked at the end of the season. Here's how the manager remembers it. We dropped a little bit in form, that's for sure. Uh, or maybe it's maybe it's more normal. I think Christmas time we were, were we second in the league at a certain point uh, for rather a long time, if I don't remember badly. Uh, I think we were very good. I don't think we were as good as we could keep a second place for for the rest of the season. That was one reason. Another reason at the end of the season, it became too many rumours about my future in the club and uh, my, not my relationship, but Texans' relationship with me was totally broken down. He he never talked to me. He He didn't want to talk to me the last couple of months and of course players knew that and the whole ambient became from being great it became uh, not bad bad but it became well I think everyone was at that time a little bit disappointed of what was happening not on the pitch but off the pitch. Well, I was going to say what was it like managing the team knowing that the uh, the chairman intended to sack you at the end of the season that, that must have been very difficult for you. Well, you have to try to do the best you can, but uh, it wouldn't have been a problem if only I knew about it, or I was—I didn't know about it, but I was rather sure that, that that would happen. But as soon as it comes out to other people in the club and the players and the staff, and at the end the fans knew it as well, or they suspected it, that it became—it becomes very difficult. And I think for everyone, and I think it's very, very normal that it shouldn't have happened uh, that that came out. I think uh, the Thai people at that time with Dr. Texan, he should have had, uh, he could have sacked me at the end of the season, but he should never have letting us suspected that that would happen. That was his great mistake. So I take the blame for the last games of the season, but I think he should take equal blame of it because it's a football uh, Director, you can't act like that. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Adam, when you hear that, what, mm. what does it make you think about, Sven? Well, uh, it was... He endeared himself to the fans from day one. There was that tongue-in-cheek song about him being able to, uh, you know, enjoy people's wives on their settee if he took us to <laughs> Wembley. So, um, you know, he'd obviously made a place in our hearts. Um, I thought, obviously, looking back at the results now, uh, it didn't doesn't make good reading for that second half. But I think he did such a good job for where we were at that time. And, you know, the fans were in up in arms. There was posters printed, stickers printed, save our Sven. Um, were you, you a know, Sven we, in campaigner? Yeah, I, I was, yeah, at the time. Were you not? I was on the fence about it because well, I, I was I was very much... It's, what he brought to City in the first half of the season was fantastic and it had lifted the mood brilliantly. It was, it was so needed at that stage. But the second half of the season was just relegation form and I couldn't see how he would change that. For the start yeah, of the next season, I, I didn't, I, I couldn't see what he was doing because he'd said he'd said around about Christmas that he was worried that that uh, other teams had figured out how to play against City, and then he hadn't he, changed anything. Yeah, true. So that that obviously goes then again to that what we were wondering what happened in that second half of the season. So then you had that into the mix that he did he only have one way, and people found out how to play against us, and the fact that he admitted that and then still didn't change it does make you wonder whether whether the correct decision was made. But um, I certainly think the majority of City fans who fought, who started that movement were certainly in. He was a great guy. The players loved him. And it was quite a shock that he was even, his head was even going to be uh, called for uh, at the end of that season because it gave us some good good football for what, what we were at that time. And I was certainly in the Save Our Sven uh, group, definitely. Yeah, he, he, I mean, as a mark of how much of a gentleman that man was, though, even though he knew he'd been sacked, he carried on managing the team. And then even after the season, took them on a post-season tour of Thailand to promote the club in the home country of the chairman who was on the run and had already sacked him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know that. That is a, That's a great... Uh, anecdote. Like, um, like, I mean, it, it just it just shows he's a perfect gentleman. Yeah, he never he didn't leave any with any bad uh, you know bad taste in the air. You know, he he conducted himself as a as a gentleman, like you say. Um, and to to know know knowing what he knew and still carried on. Obviously, the eight one horrendous game at Middlesbrough was a reflection of that. But um, yeah, you know, I, I was gutted to see him go, and I, I I accept your point there. What would he have done in the next season? That would have been an interesting one, but we obviously weren't, as a club, willing to see what he yeah. would have done in an, in another season. Yeah, well, uh, you mentioned it there. It all culminated in this on the final day of the season. Sanchez timed his run to perfection. There, he's onside. Was he hauled down? Penalty is given, and this could be a red card for Richard Dunn. Sanchez timed his run to perfection. Dunn brought him down. Done is recorded. Downing to take this penalty against Andreas Isaacson. No doubt about it. Wonderful finish in the penalty spot. Clinical. 1 0 to Middlesbrough. Welcome back, Stormwell. Well, the skip away from the challenges. Alves! That's a great goal for Middlesbrough. 2 0. The Brazilian strikes again. Now, oh, Boateng. Into Wolves, Alves and Sunshine again causing bollocks. Oh, that is incredible! 
finish from Stuart Downing. Well made, just a finished spin, and Manchester City off. Alves is through the middle here. He's onside. It could be and should be 4 0 to Middlesbrough. It's a rout. It just crept in. Two for Alves, four for Middlesbrough. They are running riot at the Riverside. More here. It is. It's five for Middlesbrough. Took a deflection. It is an absolute rout. It is Fabio rocking back. Plenty of power. That is another tremendous goal. How about that? 6 0. There's Ali Adiera. Could be seven. It just gets better and better for Middlesbrough. It's a nightmare for Manchester City. It's 7 0. There's Alano. Oh, look at that. A response from Manchester City. Too little, too late. But what another fabulous goal. It's Alves for a hat trick. It's eight for Middlesbrough. It's a hat trick for Afonso Alves. Embarrassment for City. Pure, unbridled joy for Middlesbrough. If Sven is to be forced out, but he signs off with his team, giving an absolute beating. It'll be a sad way for him to bow out as Manchester City manager. It's finished at the Riverside Stadium, a breathless Riverside Stadium. Middlesbrough 8, Manchester City 1. So eight goals uh, for Middlesbrough, one for, for City. And, and My mate. Like, yeah, your mate again. Um, <laughs> do you think, I, I can't decide on this one, was this a player protest on the day or was City just out of ideas, out of luck, just I'd, everything going I'd, wrong for them? I'd, I'd like to think the reason we were so bad is because the players decided they were down in tools, but I don't think um, you know professionalism would have let them. I think we were just, it, it was a dead rubber. We'd, we were our highest uh, league position in the Premier League. Well, you know, for a, for for a, for a time, while, for a long for while, for a while, yeah. and we'd. I almost think. So I keep alluding to this. Part of that season was almost job done, like very early on, and because we were just glad of anything at that point. Uh, that's why I think like the the job was done earlier in the season. That game was just an epitome of that. Of just, uh, well, I just remember watching the scores come in at the bottom because uh, <laughs> we weren't the live game, but the scores just kept scrolling at the bottom. It just kept coming and coming, and I was like, that you know, I'd like to think it was a player protest, but I don't think professionalism would have allowed for that. But yeah, uh, to be, I mean, to be fair, when I went back and and watched that for to make that compilation, there, mm. it was like watching like a, a goal of the season compilation. The, yeah, the quality of Middlesbrough's goals that day <laughs> were ridiculous. I just felt sorry for Isaac. Yeah. Exactly, that makes me feel a bit better then. If we were absolutely mullered from, you know. Oh, don't get me wrong. City, uh, yeah. City were uh, City were horrendous <laughs> as well. But yeah. it just so happened that everything Middlesbrough hit seems to go in. Though I met like Fabio Rockenbach's free kick was like thirty-five yards out in off the bar. Stuart Downing with an outside of the foot volley into the far post. Like so many like things that just shouldn't happen. Yeah. Just you know, it's one of those games, but we'll still remember it. It's you know a massive, massive defeat. Obviously, you've got. Sven's last game in in charge. It was uh, Isaacson's last game, uh, Sunjai's last game. You know, we we didn't know then that that was going to be their last games. It's just a really end of an era, and it really what was such a rubbish curtain. You know, to bring 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 the curtain down on a season in such a way that it just was typical of what was the the decisions that were being made behind uh, in the background that was going to culminate in his sacking. It was just almost typical to be emphatically. 
you know, trashed <laughs> Middlesbrough. Uh, just Middlesbrough, who, by the way, had not scored more than two goals in a league game all season. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, th- any record eight, you want to be... Those eight goals, were a th- they were nearly a third of Middlesbrough's home goals for the whole season. Um, and because City lost that game, and because like, this is one of the reasons why I hope this season that we're, that we're currently in the middle of now uh, doesn't get scrubbed, because <laughs> City are the only team to have scored eight in one Premier League game and conceded eight in a different one. Because of that Middlesbrough game, <laughs> I like that. So, uh, so yeah. Um, throughout the second half of that season, Taxi Cinewatra was on the run, as we mentioned from the Thai authorities. He was accused of human rights abuses by Amnesty International, and his assets were being frozen, which meant he wasn't able to pay for the players and their wages like he'd promised. He did, though, appoint Gary Cook as chief executive. Here's the former CEO speaking to the podcast about what his relationship with the chairman was like. If you look at all of the clubs in the world. Uh, particularly in England, this one I felt was a sleeping giant. I felt that I I just, you know, you always have to have confidence in your own ability. Um, There was an element of it where I knew I was in at the deep end, uh, but I really felt there was something there at Man City that could be be quite extraordinary. You mentioned uh, John Wardle and and the impact he had. Um, There were rumours that his money was needed to, to pay the players at one stage. How true were they? They were very true. Um, you know, we we were in dire straits. Uh, you know, we were we were shortly about to go into administration. There was a, there was a big challenge ahead, and uh, John is a is a city fan through and through, and I've I've been public with this before. Is that if it wasn't for John, um, I think we would have been in a much worse situation. And who knows? Once you lose control. And a football club goes into the hands of administrators. It can be uh, it can be very challenging. So what what was it then that that you saw that kind of revolutionised the club and, and changed it to, to to make sure it didn't fall into administration? Well, we uh, well quite simply, we had to go out and find new owners, and uh, within ten days, um, you know, some of some of the guys that were working with. Uh, with Shannon, uh, Taxin Shinawatra were, were posed the question, we, we're going to have to find some funds. Um, you know, Taxin was having some challenges politically and it was impacting the football club. And we then had to go and try and sell the football club. And we spoke to, you know, Greek shipping tycoons and we spoke to a few different guys. And, uh, you know, the wind came blowing through and we were in the right direction when we, uh, we made contact with, uh, with the guys from Abu Dhabi. What was your impressions of, of Dr. Taxin Sinawatra? You know, I, I, of course, everybody remembers, you know, my comments about seemed like a nice guy. And I, and I suppose that if you look at that in the context of some of the issues that he's faced, I would say that's probably a naive thing to say from me. But, but, but you can only judge people on the, on, the, in the, on the face value of what you experience. And... Uh, I, I didn't have a political platform. I don't have a political f- platform, and I wasn't interested in getting involved in politics. My job was to run the football club, and whenever I met with him and spoke to him, he would ask me for my thoughts. I would give them to him, and he would say, I support your views, away you go. Um, and then when we sat down and discussed the fact that we needed to sell the football club, he said, okay, then I agree. So so for me, my experience with him was one of... It was cordial. It was It was sensible and it was adult um but you know uh, i i wasn't i wasn't in, interested in his political uh, background please give us your backing 
patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast gary cook uh, speaking about tax and cinewatra there um when you think about the the assets being frozen adam were you, were you worried at that stage about yeah, th- the financial future of city yeah i thought he was going down and dragging us uh, would have dragged us down with him um you know you've you've got a really wonder about the future of the club when you're being linked with these type of people and these type of frozen assets. I remember that being a big buzzword around that time. Um, but it turns out getting Gary Cook in for, for the job that he did for us, um, off-field antics aside, um, he really... It was a masterstroke in getting Gary Cook in to negotiate future deals. It kind of brings me on to the first Ask the Panel question, uh, because Ben mm. M on Twitter asks, does Taxin deserve more credit for the role he played in City being where they are today? Yeah, I think he does. I think I was convinced this guy could go down and take us with him. Um, we could have been stripped of everything, uh, you know, fire sale for, you know, you don't, you don't, it, it's not worth even considering what the future could have, uh, could have, you know, been. But I understand from a limited knowledge of that situation is that he actually ensured that we were sold or his his uh, involvement with the club was a separate entity from his activity and almost made sure we were looked after as he uh, before he closed the door behind him and disappeared in into the abyss um, so I think we actually owe him a lot uh, I'm not an expert on the dealings but I do believe that he could have took us down with us and actually obviously didn't and look where we are now on the back of that yeah, he said in interviews afterwards as well that owning a football club, he's, he's he's not rich enough to own a football club. And I think he's still worth something like £500 million. <laughs> so it's like, it, it kind of puts into perspective what yeah. the debts that he took on at City there, yeah. when, when you consider that actually, you know, £500 million isn't a lot to go on these days. Um because there's also, I mean, there's there's talk recently that he was, I think it was as recently as last year that he was looking to buy into someone like Crystal Palace. Ah, well, he buried crystals under our pitch, so he well, might. Uh, I was going to go. I, I forgot to mention this actually earlier on, but there, there was there was a there was a he was very superstitious, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he buried uh, crystals under the Etihad pitch to uh, bring us luck. He <laughs> gave us all free meals in uh, Albert Square. He really endeared himself to the fans, and obviously, City anyone that was going to boost our fortune, City fans took to uh, just as a you know a messiah almost. Um, and he, 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 you know, he educated us on some uh, cultural things from Thailand. Obviously, he's not got the, he had his uh, human rights uh, issues, so we can't you know paint him in too much of a glorious state. But um, he certainly educated us and gave us some uh, food for thought. Catherine O'Brien on the emails asks, uh, what was the best goal scored by City that season? And um, well, like, you, you're, you're going to talk about Alano at Newcastle again. Yeah. Uh, Alano at Borough was the best goal of the game, even though it was the, the one <laughs> in the eight one. Um, we haven't mentioned Stephen Ireland against Reading. Great, great stuff. The volley, um, that, the volley in the, at yeah, the 94th minute. Bit. And, and would won, Edward won every home game up until that point, and that was going to break that run if he didn't do that in that last minute. Um so yeah, I, I'm going for Alano uh, free kick. I'd, I'd not seen anything like that uh, in a long time, and not a long time since. Um, it was just perfect for me. But Stephen Ireland deserves a mention. I'm taking Stephen Ireland's goal because that okay. it was it was an incredible volley that I don't know how he did it. Um, <laughs> finally, Ben Aspinall on the emails says, uh, given the comments made by past England players, do you feel Sven's one-dimensional system and tactics were his undoing at City? Given the players he had at his disposal, they should have finished a lot higher than ninth. Yeah, I think we alluded to that as well. I've, I've learned that um, he believed that uh, other teams may have found him out and he didn't do anything about that. 
Um, that might be all right in tournament football when you may only you may only play a team once. Whereas when you're playing them home and away across the season, you've got to have multiple ways of unlocking them and uh, outthinking them. And obviously, it turned out he was very one-dimensional. I think, like you alluded to, uh, David, the, his biggest masterstroke of the season was taking Alano off at half time, and that was seen as a you know a maverick move. So, um, I think he, that was his undoing, and you know, uh, ultimately. That's why the decision was made. I think it's very easy to remember how badly that season ended. So I want to finish this week's show on uh, some of the positives that it did because it did bring City fans a fresh taste of good football after years of simply existing, didn't it? Yeah, I think uh, like we keep harping back to that early form. We've done a a league double over United for the first time. There was the the, we. It only took us six six games at at home to score the same amount that we had the previous season. (laughs) So anything is going to be good. you know, there was those games against uh, Middlesbrough and Birmingham uh, at home where we were just on this this run of, of winning and playing good football at home that was alien to us at that time. We had the emergence of Johnson, uh, uh, Alano being our top scorer with 10, you know, a, a striker that, got do- that dared to get double figures, not even a striker, but a, a player that dared to get double figures for us for a season. Um, we, we were really reaching new heights and that revolution was just ro- rolling on and it, we had right, a reason to be optimistic we didn't know it was going to fall off but certainly I hold that season in high regard in terms of what it brought to us and it kind of was preparing us for what was to come we kind of were able to have a little seat at the top table even if it was just a temporary one an emergency chair yeah I mean it, it also at that time it was the first ever time in the Premier League where City had an entire season where they were in the top 10 at all times they, they were never in the bottom half of the uh, of the Premier League table and that's the first time that had ever happened See, that's why he should have got another season. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, the first time ever in the Premier League that we didn't drop out of the top 10, that was unheard of for us in our yo-yo form then. It's just, um, I think that's what, kind of looking back now at that season, we almost thought the job was done because we were achieving things that we hadn't, although they weren't great on the grand scale of things, for us it was actual a real a, a good season. I, I only ever look at that season and... Uh, think of it with happy memories uh, get rid of that uh, 8-1 defeat at the end of it and it, it's an alright season for, for us and they qualified for Europe in the end it was via the fair play league yeah. but they got in there in the end <laughs> exactly so I was right in, in the January when I was texting talk sport <laughs> saying we're going on a European tour uh, right well that's it for this week's trip down memory lane thank you very much for listening to the show if you've enjoyed it then please help us out by giving it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you've listened to it you can also get a little bit of extra podcast by listening to our Patreon bonus show that's available for $2 a month backers at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast this week's show is all about bogey teams so special thanks to my guest Adam Carter thank you and given how the season ended in the stands with the fans singing we don't need no Phil Scolari we don't need no Mourinho hey taxing leave our Sven alone there's only one way we can finish today's show see you next week
That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.